welcome to the Truth Ward Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have benefited from this podcast or any of Olin's books, we'd like to ask you to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you purchase your books. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and I'll pray for us. Father, you are such a good God. You have not left us afloat in this world without a compass or without a north star to guide us. But, Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, you don't answer all the questions that we have. You haven't given us all the information that we wish that we had. But, Lord, you do give us enough. Lord, your word is sufficient uh, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness that... Your people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, as we think about electing officers, as we think about serving as officers and trying to utilize officers and leaders in your church, Lord, I pray that you would be speaking to us through your word this morning to give us the wisdom we need uh, about elders and deacons and how they're supposed to best function in your church. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at kind of the beginning, the problem of leaders, the the problem that the leaders had. So Acts chapter 6, just look at verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is early in church history. You have one church in Jerusalem. It was a mega church for sure. Some people say, you know, mega churches didn't come around until Charles Spurgeon in England. That's not true. Uh, they probably had over 20,000 people in this one church. It had grown very rapidly as well. Uh, so they had gone from a, a church of about 120 to thousands overnight. Just imagine the complexity and the problem of that. And they kept growing. And one of the things they did is you, it was primarily made up of poor people. A lot of Jewish people that were living in Jerusalem or had made a pilgrimage there. You did have some rich people that would sell some of their land and possessions, things like that. Barnabas did this so that the proceeds from the money could be given to help support the poor people. And so one of the main things the church was doing, especially for widows, because back then you didn't have health care, you didn't have the social system and the government as much. You really had, it was community that took care of people like that. And so the Hellenists, those were Jews, but they were Greek speaking. And so you had more native Jews that still primarily spoke Hebrew at home. You had others that had been raised in Greek-speaking homes. And so they realized the Hebrew women are getting all the money and food they need. Uh, the Greek-speaking women seem like they're being neglected. And there's a complaint. Now, uh, maybe they, who knows what they thought it was. It probably was just because the 12 main leaders, the disciples, were all Jewish and had not grown up as much in Greek-speaking homes, and they just probably knew through their network of relationships they had better connection to the Hebrew-speaking women. So there's the problem. Uh, Keep your finger right here in Acts chapter 6 and flip back to Proverbs chapter 14 for just a second. Proverbs chapter 14, this is maybe not the most memorable proverb of all time, but uh, it's a good one. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So if you're a farmer and you don't have any ox, uh, your manger will be really clean, but you'll be poor as well. You won't be producing anything. But if you're a farmer and you've got a bunch of ox and they're out there working and you're producing a bunch of crops, that'll be wonderful, but there will also be a lot of mess to clean up. It's just very practical. And so what's the point? When you have a church that's growing and flourishing, there's going to be problems. 
there's going to be complications uh, because you have people and people are sinners. Uh, and I've made the joke sometimes like, man, ministry is great except for people. Uh, and, and, and I mean that including myself. I'm a person, right? Because I'm a sinner and you deal with other sinners and, that, and that's where the problem is. So there's going to be problems. And, and Satan is amazing at getting in and trying to divide the church when there are complaints. You know, it would have been very easy back in Acts 6 for some of these Hellenistic women to say, well, the, the apostles must just be racist or something like that. They, they like more the purebred Jews that just speak Hebrew all the time. But us Greek-speaking Jews, they don't care about us as much. But it wasn't that at all. It was just more of a core communication error. It was a overwhelmed error, thing like that. And we're going to look at how they're going to address it. Okay, so the first thing we're going to see here is just the priority of leaders. Leaders are important. So look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So church leaders have to know their role. They have to prioritize the right role and they have to dedicate themselves to the right thing. And so notice the apostles who are essentially serving as the elders. I mean, this is really where church officers are getting formed. You didn't have elders or deacons up to this point. But essentially the apostles are serving in the role of elders. And they realize, man, raising the money keeping track of the money, buying food, distributing the food, making sure all the poor people are cared for, it is vitally important. We can't neglect it. And yet, we're overwhelmed. We have too much to do with our preaching, with our teaching, with our praying, with our pastoring, with our shepherding. We can't do it, so we need to raise up some new leaders. Okay. So, apostles, they're for the forerunners, the elders. What are elders primarily supposed to do? They're supposed to pray, they're supposed to preach, they're supposed to pastor, or you can say shepherd. Okay? They, they speak, they supplicate, they pray, and they shepherd. That, that's what elders are primarily supposed to do. They're supposed to be doing a lot of preaching and teaching. Now that, that, it could be up front like this, or it can be in Starbucks on Monday morning across a coffee table with a member counseling them about their, their problems. Okay? It's all of that, that kind of preaching and teaching, taking the word, applying it to people's lives. They're supposed to be praying, praying for the people, praying with the people, leading prayer services like I think Clay or somebody else did last Sunday morning. Elders are supposed to be doing that kind of thing. And then lastly, pastoring, shepherding the flock, leading the flock, making decisions, guiding the flock to where they need to go. That's what they're supposed to do. But other really important roles, deacons. What are deacons supposed to be doing? Okay. Uh, and I'll just say this. Oftentimes, elders are tempted to do too much because they have that leading role. We're supposed to be leading, making decisions. It's, it's Sometimes it's just natural. I mean, I feel this sometimes in, in just running a family. It's like, well, sometimes it'd just be easier for me to do it myself rather than delegate it to somebody else. And it may be in the short run, it may be quicker, but in the long run, this happens. You get overwhelmed when you've taken on too many duties, you're not delegating enough, and it gets you in trouble. So they were wise to say, these are the first deacons. They're not called deacons here, but this is the beginning of the deacons. Okay, and most good commentators would say that. The deacons focus on three things. They focus on budgets, benevolence, and buildings. So physical, tangible resources like money, buildings, managing money, that's always important. Okay, that's, that's some of the idea of serving tables. It wasn't just like distributing bread at table. It's almost like a banking idea of managing money for the church, okay? taking care of these things. Uh, keep your finger here. We'll come right back. But flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. If we were doing a whole thing on spiritual gifts, which we're not, but if we were, you know, there's a lot of different spiritual gifts that the New Testament talks about, but they all typically fall into two major categories. 
There's more speaking gifts, more elder-type gifts, and there's more doing gifts, which tend to be more deacon-type gifts. So look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The church is supposed to be a body that's speaking. It's also supposed to be a body that's doing and serving. It's, it's the mouthpiece of Jesus. It's also the hands and feet of Jesus. Elders tend to be more the mouthpiece. The deacons tend to be more of the hands and the feet going out ministering. Delegating of duties and then focusing. Okay, so that's the pro- leadership is important, and getting the right people in the right seats to do the right thing is really important. Second thing, the plurality of leaders. I mean, this is really important, and it kind of leads into what the second point is. But it wasn't just one apostle; there were twelve, and then even there wasn't just one office. It wasn't just elders; there were deacons, and they said, "Choose seven. No one human being has all the gifts." I want you to think for just a minute in your mind. I'm not going to ask you to share out loud, but I want you to think about in your own personal life, either, and this could be through reading church history or something like that, even reading the Bible, or just people that you've met and interacted with. I want you to think about the person you've met before that's like the most gifted. You're like, this person seems like they have all the gifts. I bet if you hung out with them long enough or if you read enough biographies of them, you will realize nobody has all the gifts. Some people have more gifts than others. Some people are more gifted. Nobody has all the gifts. We need one another. So when we talk about the body of Christ ministering to other people, I, I can't say as an individual, I am the body of Christ. I will go minister to this person. I'm a part of the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ. We need one another. We need the different gifts. We need elders. We need deacons. Okay? Um, so part of what that requires is a lot of humility. If the apostles had really been ego-driven at this point, we want to make sure that everybody knows we're the most important, we're the big dolls, we were the guys that walk with Jesus, it all centers around us, it's about our glory, our name, our fame. You don't want to invite new leaders in because then you kind of have to share. Some, you share some of the burden, you also share some of the privilege, some of the honor. They didn't think about that at all. We're, we're dependent on one another, we're interdependent, it's a good thing. So we need plurality of leaders. And then third, here's what I want to kind of focus on this morning, because I want to make this really practical for us, is just the, the prayer of leaders. Okay, notice again in verse 4 what they say. And this is for all of us, but, but mainly for the elders, but for all of us. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, I mean, just let's get real practical for a minute. Essentially, there's a complaint. They come to the 12 leaders and say, we've got women in the church who are widows, who promises have essentially been made from the front that they will be provided for, and they're not getting enough food, they're not getting enough money, the ball is being dropped. And the elders essentially say, the apostles say, this is very important, somebody's got to address this, we don't have time to address it because we're so busy preaching and praying. Now, I just want everybody in here, myself included, to just think for a second. Has anyone ever come to you and said, I need you to help me with blank. And your real honest answer was, that's important, somebody should help, but I can't help you because I'm so personally devoted to the ministry things that I'm already doing. That's the first question. And my guess is there's probably some of us in here say, yeah, I actually have had a season like that where I'm doing so much, like I got a full-time job and my family, and I'm trying to serve this church so much. And somebody says, hey, will you do something else? It's like, I just can't, I'm overwhelmed. 
And that, that's normal. That's normal life sometimes on fallen planet Earth. But here's the second question, which is much more convicting to me personally. Has you ever been asked, hey, we really need your help with this, and you said, I can't do it because I just have, I'm, I'm devoted to so much time praying, I can't take away from my prayer time to serve more. And I read, I was like, ah, I'm not sure I've ever had that one. I'm not sure I've ever met anybody that had that one. But that's part of what the apostles were saying, is we, we're so devoted to ministering the word, but also to praying, to praying with people, to praying for people, to leading prayer services. I mean, this, this was a prayer-centered church. That's one of the things that arises out of this church, and just, I mean, out of this passage. So as I was studying this passage, I was just like, man, I think that's one thing, at least for me, because it, it even uses the word there. Look again, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, I just ask you by way of personal reflection, has there ever been a season in your life where you felt like, I'm, I'm devoted to prayer? I'm not haphazard. I'm not casual. I mean, it's, it's a big part of my life. I'm devoted. And so what I would say to all of us, especially the elders, we're, we're supposed to be, and I'm speaking to myself here, we're supposed to be devoted to prayer. But I think you can make a good case all Christians are supposed to be devoted to prayer, uh, maybe not at the same level. And what, what I would ask of everybody here. Let's be devoted to prayer together as a church and specifically even devoted to prayer about this process of electing new elders and deacons in our church and then praying for the officers. If you're not an officer, okay, one of the best things you can do to help, to love, to serve, to honor the officers is pray for them. So uh, let me just say this by way of application. So I don't know how it works in your life, but a lot of times in my life, and I think this is true for a lot of people, January is the month you set... uh, New Year's resolutions, some goals for the year, and maybe you set some really good ones. And January is usually the month where you do really good. And February is usually the month where reality starts to hit. And as you get to about this point in February, you're like, yeah, maybe I overshot it. Maybe it was too much, many goals, or maybe I had good goals. I've just given up or I've gotten lazy or life has happened. So sometimes kind of the end of February can be a good time to kind of revitalize some goals. And so I don't even know where y'all are at with, with your personal goals, but, but I would encourage you to maybe take some time this week and specifically pray about what's my personal prayer life look like. And, and that's praying by yourself. That's praying with other people, corporately, whatever that is. And, and how could you be, for the rest of 2024, more devoted to prayer this year, whether you're an officer or not? I think that would be a great thing for us all to wrestle with. What can my life look like to be more devoted to prayer? But let's keep going this passage. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." Now, a couple more things here. Notice the process. The, the apostles, the elders are in charge, but they say, y'all choose who you want to choose. And if you read through these names, these were all Greek-speaking Jews that they chose. So they were getting some diversity of leadership in that would know these women and be able to serve them better and communicate with them better, which was very wise. Okay. But it, it's a dual process. The congregation elected, in a sense, the deacons, but then the elders had to approve and say, yes, we approve of these men and lay hands on them. So there's checks and balances. It's not just the elders having 
you know, the choice to say we appoint this person and we get whoever we want, nor is it the congregation just saying we choose whoever we want. The congregation, in a sense, elected somebody and then the elders approved of it. So there's a two-step process there, which I think is very wise as a system of check and balances. But then look at verse 7 again. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I think this is really important for us for a couple of reasons. I think sometimes when you start talking about different offices, elders and deacons, and, and there are some churches that almost practice it this way. It's kind of like, hey, uh, the young and immature and kind of upcoming, we'll make them the deacons. Uh, but once you're really mature and you're really godly, then you get to graduate and be an elder. Okay? And listen, that's not to say that some people don't have some gifts that fit as a deacon, some gifts that fit in an elder, that they can't serve as a deacon and then later become an elder. Because if you keep reading, it seems like Stephen and Philip both probably had both sets of gifts and were doing a lot of preaching and teaching and maybe later became elders in the church. Stephen didn't because he didn't live very long, uh, but, but Philip almost certainly did. All right? But here is the point. There are two offices. And one is focused more on the speaking gifts. One is focused more on the doing gifts. And they're both important. They're both spiritual. They're both for the spiritually mature. Okay, it's not like the varsity and the junior varsity. It's more like husband and wife, peers in a marriage. Yes, if push comes to shove, one takes the leadership, right? But there's a peers, there's a partnership leading the family together. And here's what I want you to see. When the deacons started doing their job well the word of God started spreading more powerfully. More people got reached. It's funny, if, if, if you took the time to start in Acts 1 and read all the way up to this point, what you see is Luke is trying to keep track. And so at the end of chapter 2, after Peter preaches at Pentecost, he's like 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And then a couple of chapters later, there are more preaching, there's more people getting saved, and he says, the church got up to 5,000 men. It's like, I can't count everybody, but I'll at least keep counting the men. And what you're going to see after this is they just quit counting. It's like the church was growing so much they just couldn't even keep up with them anymore. And why? Because they will know we are Christians by our love. When the lost world started seeing, look at the way they love one another. Look at the way they love their people. So please don't get the wrong idea that only the preaching upfront gifts are the important ones. Because a lot of times the behind-the-scenes, lowly, serving people gifts are the ones that will make the real difference. We need both. We need both. Okay? Notice even this, the last phrase there of verse 7, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the religious establishment that had helped put Jesus to death, these people are starting to repent and get saved. And why was it? Because in the Jewish religion, the priests were supposed to be the ones that had a priestly heart and cared for the widows. And they basically, to some degree, probably weren't doing their job well. And they see the church doing such a good job of it, they get convicted and they get drawn to the Savior. You know, maybe one or two last thoughts. Uh, I want you to think about your favorite movie, novel, whatever it is you've ever read. And, and, uh, and, and not like, oh, here's my favorite comedy, but maybe something a little bit more serious. All right, a drama, something like that. Your best one, a play, whatever. I bet somewhere in there, some of the reason that it's moving to you, that it's inspirational, that it touches your heart, is at some point in the movie, in the book, in the play, whatever it is, there's sacrifice. There's somebody making a sacrifice, willing to lay down their life in some sense to serve others. Because it's, 
that's one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful things in the world. And when people see that, and when they see the church doing it, they're drawn to it. Why? Because it's the heart of God. I mean, really what deacons are supposed to embody, and really the whole church is supposed to embody, is the priestly heart of God. This compassionate heart of God that wants to serve people, that wants to minister to people, that's a bleeding heart, and it's wise, good stewardship, but wants to love well. And really, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who literally laid his life down to purchase us with his blood, not with money. So I'm hoping that this church has got a good foundation and we can just keep building on it with godly elders who will preach, who will pray, who will shepherd well, and godly and wise deacons who will manage money, manage buildings, and minister in a priestly way to our congregation but also to the community. And I hope it leads to many more people coming to Christ. So let me pray one more time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for how practical and realistic your word is. Uh, Again, that you give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray for this church. Would you give us the wisdom in electing uh, the congregation, nominating people, the elders approving, Lord, of new elders and new deacons, if you want us to have them. And, Lord, would you put your hand upon this church and help uh, the elders do their jobs well. Lord, pray and preach and pastor and shepherd, Lord, and help the deacons do their jobs well, Lord, as they minister to people from a sacrificial priestly heart. And, Lord, I do pray as this church grows in its effectiveness and in being a picture of the heart of Christ that more and more people will be drawn to trust in our Savior. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.